Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Blue Morpho Podcast. I'm your host, Hamilton Souther, and today we have the very famous Corey Allen on the show with us. And I'm excited to have Corey here because he and I have been friends for a long time, uh, both in different spiritual circles and uh, talk on a regular basis about just what's going on. And so uh, it's a pleasure to have Corey here. Corey, thank you so much for being on the show with us. Thank you for being here. And for me, and also, you know, I... I'm glad that I got this new thing in all my contracts where I, I people have to legally refer to me as the very famous Corey Allen. Now. Well, so, you, yeah. you found me out. Guys, it was a plug. It was a corporate plug. There's, <laughs> there's no other title. He didn't even use a title. It's a C at the bottom of my screen. I'm like, well, what am I going to say? I'm going to say, well, the extremely famous uh, Corey Allen is here today. But uh, Corey, so we met going to a consciousness retreat a long time ago. Um, and uh, talked about you know spirituality as we were both at different phases in our career now uh, 10 plus years ago and um, I want to just hear a little bit about what you've been doing writing about thinking about uh, let's get into that yeah sure so first off wow man 10 years that's crazy yeah I remember whenever we we met up there that we just by chance were put in the same vehicle remember it was uh oh yeah meet this guy there's going to be this guy named hamilton at the airport and you guys will run into each other and then drive together for two hours or whatever from the, from the airport so that was a great way to meet is like just getting locked into a, a aluminum rectangle for two hours you know it was um, an incredible way to meet it gave us a chance to discuss uh you know the horizons looking at a horizon and trying to yeah, suss totally. out what we were really getting ourselves into. We both had no clue what it was. But it was this, no, it was a, a consciousness retreat about, uh, you know, kind of next phases. And we all found out that we were all going in our own, but also different directions on that, on that retreat, totally. which is powerful. And you came back and yeah. started a number of things. You had a podcast, an author writing books, meditation, teacher. You were leading a bunch of that. And where did kind of all of that head? Yeah, I mean, basically, I think in the beginning, like 10 years ago, I was doing the things that I liked doing. So I just started, that's sort of my, as far as being an entrepreneur in that aspect of what I was doing. So I was doing all those things for a living. Like, my ethos has always been do what I like to do, what I would have been doing anyway, and do it really well as best as I can. And if I focus on that and the clarity and intention behind what I'm doing, then the business side of it will just follow because it's really true. It's like, you know, there's no amount of marketing. Well, we're like, this just goes into a business podcast. No, but no amount of marketing. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll, we'll talk about product iteration next, but no amount of marketing will, <laughs> will, will, will substitute quality, you know, and it's like anything that you're a part of in your life, you know, like the thing that sticks out is something that's really good. And so I always thought that was what I was doing. And so I was just doing things that like I liked and tried to do them as well as I could and just hoped that the business would follow along with that. And it did, you know, and so over that period of time, it was a, a the last 10 years was a, a long period of understanding what it was that not only that, that I like to do, but what was I actually good at? And then what did I really want to do? And then how to continue to shape that 
and direct it towards where I would be most effective, you know? Um, and ultimately that ended up being, of course, as you said, the, uh, doing a podcast. Uh, and then as time has gone on, you know, I've really shaved that down mainly to doing a podcast and writing and I do, you know, other things as well. But as far as in the, in the main public eye of my work, that's what I, what I do now. And, um, I will say that that's, it's interesting on that journey that like, I thought I knew what the trajectory was going to be or what it should be. But when you're doing anything, you're, it's like being revealed to you the truth about what you're doing as you're doing it. And so you then understand yourself more deeply as you do the thing. And it's the only way to get to that place is you have to experience the process of doing whatever it is that you think you should be doing. And through that experience, you then learn like, oh, actually, this isn't really what I wanted, or I should need to do this differently, or I'm doing this because this is what I need, like all the teaching or the talking or, or whatever it is. It's like, I need all this shit to understand myself and to integrate and figure out like, who, who am I? <laughs> what am I about? You know? And so all of that really, uh, really did culminate. And, um, you know, I think the outcome was turned into something completely different than I would have ever imagined. What's it like being a writer in today's day and age? Like, you know, when I was growing up, it was all about like, you know, publishing deals. Very few people were writers. Then came along like the big print on demand disrupt to everything. And anyone could be a writer. What's it, what was it like to break into the writing scene uh, and ultimately take that to social. Yeah, pretty easy. Um, it's like, it, it just like, it's like I did everything, you know, I, I think that you need to, if I'm giving like advice to someone who wants to be a writer, let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. Like you have to put in the reps, you know, you have to like get in there and you have to be consistent and just, if it's not something like any discipline that you're doing, if it's not something that you're doing every day, then it's going to be really hard to get good at it because you have to just immerse yourself into the process to understand it on an incredibly deep level and to continue understanding it and understanding yourself. You know, and I think that one of the biggest things that was, you know, that hit me whenever I first started my, my writing my first book was that I didn't have any idea what I thought about anything. You know, because you think that you know what you think and you think you have a ton of ideas because in our minds, ideas like mental formations feel huge, but that's really just this type of like emotional and perhaps spiritual enthusiasm. It's like the energy of having thought something is huge and we so commonly mistake that for actually having ideas, but it's not until you try to write those things down do you realize like, oh, I actually don't have any ideas. And if the ones I do have, are, they don't make any sense or they're stupid <laughs> or they're not valuable, you know? So there's a long process of being like, okay, let me actually see, like, let's, let's get some ideas. Let me actually start clarifying my thinking and getting some direction. And then from there, it's just like, you know, fine tuning and perfecting uh, the craft of doing it that suits you. And it's like, I think of, since I have kind of a, a lifelong background in music, I think about um, writing in terms of music. I think about in terms of like co composition. And it's like every author has a different sound. It's just like every, you know, artist, every musician has kind of a different sound. So you could have, you know, 10 hip hop artists or 10 rock artists or whatever. And yes, they're still in the same genre, but they have a, a distinct different approach and sound and kind of energy to the thing. 
Um, but you know, like, like guitar, like the tone is in your fingers, you know, it's like Hendrix playing a guitar is going to sound very different than another person, regardless of the quality of the guitar, you know? And I think that writing is the same way. It's like you find your style. And so the point is, is that through repetition, through really getting in there, grinding, finding your style, finding out what you think, find out like, why are you writing? Who are you writing towards and for what purpose and then how to deliver that? And then, um, getting the feedback from people that you're writing for and then continuing to work to and understand like, well, what's working? What is it that's connecting with people? Like what are the elements of what I'm writing that are really connecting and resonating with people and learning to work more of that into your writing so that you can connect more deeply. So through repetition and making yourself visible, um, it's not too difficult, I think, to break into becoming a writer these days because you have so many platforms you know you have so many um there's so many like places online where you can write and get instant feedback you know it's like you can write on social media every single day you can post four times a day if you want and you're literally having like a, a four focus groups a day but it's all about switching the mindset to understanding that that's how it works you know because a lot of people say like they think i want to be a writer it's like okay cool well, what are you doing about that? And they're like, well, I write for an hour every Saturday morning. It's like, well, that's great if that's your goal. But they're like, well, I want to be a, a professional writer that's well known on social media. It's like, cool. Well, how much stuff are you sharing? It's like, well, you know, every couple of days I do something. It's like, well, you know, that's like there's a lot of opportunity there that you could be writing a lot more and, and getting a lot more feedback and learning about the craft and, and really getting out there. But I think that that's that's the main way that to cut through today, you know, and then of course, understanding the, the networking and, and, uh, all that aspect of the back end of it as well. Now, how does the business side of writing today work? Do you get like a publishing deal? Is it just try to do it yourself? What, like if you wanted to be a writer, what, what would you do? How would you advise someone? Yeah. I mean, it depends on what someone's goals are. Um, but I would say like, say they want to have a book published, um, first off, come up with an idea. And, you know, <laughs> that's the big thing. Come up with an idea for a book where you can tell someone what it's about in one sentence. And when you can do that, then you actually have an idea. And then see if that idea already exists, you know? And if it doesn't, then great. Um, and yeah, if you wanna write a book, you would then basically start to then write a book proposal, you know, and um, then you would give that, find a literary agent and work with them to then sell that to a large publisher if that's what your your goal is. Hmm. Um, I think the main advice is just, again, practice, 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 like doing the thing, getting into repetitions and not being attached to the outcomes in your writing, you know, just getting the idea of whatever it is that you might want to write and then just working on writing it and see like, how does it come out? How does it feel and then how does it make sense to you and I, I think it's very important to always follow your your instinct and your intuition about things it's like people ask me like aren't you scared about posting stuff on instagram because you know i if you have like over four hundred thousand followers just on instagram and people are like isn't that scary the idea of posting something and having like that many people and i always say no like there's no fear in it at all because actually, i actually don't even think about it because in writing, like through repetition, what happens is that you listen to your instinct and your intuition and you never go against what feels right. So it's, it's very interesting. Like to me, 
the in the creative path like if you're people often get into more often than not get into a habit of overthinking and this isn't just in creativity it's in everything but we're just speaking in terms of creativity right now and so they'll like let's say they write something and then they're like oh well um I think I like this. I don't know. And then they kind of go back and forth. Like, should I change the wording? Is this good? Is it bad? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, really, you you do know. It's just that the static of your mind, you're, you're putting all of your attention into the noise of the processing system of your mind, as opposed into uh, to your intuitive sense of the feeling of what it is that you've created. And that intuitive sense of your taste, because at the end of the day, all everything really but creativity is all about taste i mean nothing is ever right or wrong it's all about what feels right to you what makes sense to you like is that something that you that you want to see come into the world right and just querying that sense is like it's like tasting food um i've heard it i, I didn't come up with that but i heard it described that way one time and i really liked it it's like you taste something, you just know if it's good or bad. Hmm. You don't like have some, you know, taste escargot for the first time. You're like, let me chew on this for 30 minutes and see if I like this or not. It's like you either like a snail and you eat it or you spit it out. It's like the, there's just two options. You're like, no, I'm going to I'm gonna set this on the desk and I'm going to come back and chew on it for a few more hours tomorrow as well and see if I like it or not. You know, it's like, no, you know, there's because it hits you in this intuitive sense of like, boom, feels good, feels right or feels wrong. And creativity is the same way. If you can clear away the and, and get out of that overthinking mode and the intellectual brain, and just get into the sense of how the thing hits you. But once you tap into that, then all of your creativity comes from a place, you know, as far as what you will develop into something that you actually would make public. Um, it's like, yeah, well, it's it's bulletproof. It feels right. So there's no questions. So, of course, you just, you know, it's easy to to make things public that way. Yeah. How is your spiritual practice uh fundamentally affected your creative practices yeah i, I don't have a spiritual practice anymore and <laughs> no, no, i'm just joking um yeah it's huge man it's everything i mean it's like it's you know i think that you know, i've meditated for over 25 years at this point and mm-hmm. i wouldn't any of the creative things i've done wouldn't be possible without that these certainly wouldn't exist in the same way you know um I think that meditation, in my experience anyway, it makes the membrane between the subconscious and the conscious mind a bit more thin. You know, the the arising symbolic mental formations that come into your consciousness that you then integrate or turn into a thought or to something that becomes meaningful, um, that stuff can pass through a lot easier. Or should I say, perhaps you can see it from the witness mind with a lot more clarity through meditation. And also, of course, you know, without meditation, your mind is essentially like the untended garden where you have all the fragments of everything you've experienced in your timeline up until the moment that you begin doing, you know, looking inward. It's all there. It's all overgrown. It's wild, you know. And that's why whenever people, for the first time, they try and meditate, or they even sit in silence, they do an isolation tank, they come down to blue morpho, whatever it is, they see inward one time, and it really freaks them out. Because they're like, I there's a it's chaos in there. It's like it's tons of thoughts, 
it's everything's going in different directions. It's all wild. And uh, that's typically whenever people think, oh, well, I'm not the type of person that should be looking inward. I'm not the type of person because look at what I just saw. But that's an interesting misapprehension because that first view into your inner life is the most important step in your path. Mm -hmm. It's opening the door, right? From there, and that's when you see the untended garden. That's like, well, of course it's overgrown. But now that you're there, now then the work begins to, you know, tend that garden, to pull out the weeds, to nurture the flowers, you know, cut the grass, et cetera, et cetera. And then in time, you then work through everything that you've accumulated up until that point. Then you have a, a clearer playing field to work with. And of course, as long as we're living, there's going to be new things coming into us that will create things we need to work with, you know, in our inner landscape. But by clearing that out, all of the chatter and the noise and the distraction, all that stuff has, you're able to let go of it. And in terms of creativity, that's a huge gift because you don't have to battle with that stuff while you're seeking for clarity and thought about what it is that you're creating or why that you're creating something. Yeah. And over the last 20 years, you know, I focused my practice mostly on plant medicine and the accompanying practice associated with that. And, you know, I've talked before about sort of like the, what we see is the ego in the space and things and, um, you know, people trying to accelerate their development through those practices. But what really hit me over the years now is that, uh, like I see that a lot of people are just reacting to ego through the nature of the practice and not getting past that first look inward and actually going deeper than that. It seems like there's a lot of, you know, reaction to it and stories that come out of it that represent a lot of just that the freak out state of that first look. And, uh, you know, I wondered on the Eastern philosophical past, like, why is it lifelong? Why do they talk about it that way? What is that? When, because when you're younger and doing this, you don't, you don't have a frame of reference. You're like, oh, I meditated for the last two years or the last five years, but you're not 20, 25 years into it, you know, to even know. And, uh, I think one of the big things that I've, I've come away with in the last years of my practice is just telling people like, hey, let's not react to this experience. Let's actually just go into a, a meditative inward state. Let the ego chill out completely, completely relax into the plant medicine, not react to it. It's not some huge hero journey. There's no hero here. We're just having an experience and we're looking deeper into our consciousness and trying to bring some meaning to our overall experience. And I found that it's actually allowing people you know, a much deeper experience than going into that like ego place and chaos. And it's also a lot more chill and it's a lot, you know, it's more sustainable and relaxed and it allows people to have a deeper experience. And so for me, you know, it went from the early stages of like what seemed like these really big experiences and then learning how to navigate those and, and work with others too. Now, like just fundamentally a much deeper experience. And I have a lot more uh, genuine appreciation for the depth of it and the chilled out nature and the, the centeredness that it can ultimately bring. And so I was wondering in terms of meditation, for me, that was like a plant medicine arc. I wondered for you in meditation, what it was like going from, you know, the first five years to 10, 15, 20, 25, et cetera. Yeah. So I think very similar, you know, there's this, uh, spiritual enthusiasm, I think that people have at the beginning and whether it's for whatever the modality is, if it's, or all of them together. Um, and that's, that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. You know, it's because you catch some glimpse, you, you hear a podcast, you read a book, you have an experience, something awakens your awareness 
towards the fact that more is available inside of you, more is available in this world than what you previously thought. And that's a very energizing insight to have. And so because of that, and as you said, most people are, are typically quite young whenever they have that experience in terms of, of full duration of life. Like not as many people are having that experience at 95 as they are perhaps at 25. Hmm. And so they're, they're already youthful and full of energy and they're ready to go. And also there's not a lot clogging up their lives at that time. They don't have, they're not in the middle of like, well, I'm trying to make partner at the law firm and I got two mortgages and also it's like, they got a lot more space to think about shit, you know? <laughs> and so, uh, uh, they get really pumped and they want to go all in. And so, you know, because of that, it's like, there's a lot of that enthusiasm and it creates kind of some of the issues that you were talking about. Um, mm -hmm. but I really think that's, they're almost like rites of passage. You know, it's like, it's just kind of this period that you have to go through and because you're so excited about it and everything, you kind of do all the things. And then eventually, um, whenever you start to get used to it and it kind of loses that initial, kind of mysterious shininess a little bit, you can then get deeper into it, you know, because you're actually dealing with, with what is as opposed to what you hope there is. And I think in terms of my first year, five years of meditation, it was just all, it was like a circus of like trying every single approach, just trying to fuck with my consciousness as much as I could. And also at the same time, trying to find relief from like extreme anxiety and things like that. And so it was really just like deep exploration and getting way out there with it, trying to just see what was possible. I think probably the next five years were a bit more focused um, and a bit more in touch with traditional approaches uh, in terms of things like transcendental meditation or mantra meditation or things like that. And uh, then probably the five years after that was going way deeper into, even though I'd already read a lot of them, going way deeper into classical approaches, like the original Theravadan approaches, uh, you know, reading approaches written in the Pali Canon and or things like that, as opposed to modern popularized versions of things and really just trying to understand like, what is it below all of this stuff that's really being transmitted? Like what, what are the original, of course, the Pali Canon is just an oral tradition that's been written down, but it's like, but and for people that don't know, that's essentially, you know, Buddhism was a oral tradition. Buddha just, you know, got up there and kind of had, so he did solo podcasts in front of groups of people. <laughs> and uh, Under a tree. They, just under, under a tree, a tree podcast. Yeah. 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 He's like, you can come subscribe at this tree over here. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and every, every Monday it's uh, at 8 a.m. I'll pop up here and do an hour long talk. Um, make sure to review and subscribe Buddha five stars, um, <laughs> share it with your friends. Actually, they, and he did say share it with their friends and they did uh, share it. So he would, he would give these talks to the Arats and they would, you know, essentially then remember his teachings. And then after Buddha died, then the teachings were passed on from just by word of mouth to other people. And then my understanding, I, I talked to Sharon Salzberg about this and she hadn't heard of this before, but one of the things I read was that actually there were 
a lot of wars breaking out at the time. I mean, there were always wars and there still are, but at the time there were, there were <laughs> wars that were close by. And a lot of the people that had uh, oral teachings were like, Hey, we should write this down in case all of us get slaughtered. And cause it'll all be lost. Mm. So let's start writing it down. So that's what the polycan is. And that's why it's written as if it's dialogue, you know, it's cause it's literally them writing down what they remember Buddha, his podcasts were about. <laughs> Anyway, so yes, my interest is like in those years, like then the kind of uh, my 10 to 15 years was really getting into that stuff deeply and trying to understand that on a fundamental level. And then I think the five years after that was like really letting go of all of it, like mm -hmm. letting go of all of the practices, all of the thoughts, all of the ideas about what it should be, um, even letting go of my own like I guess my own intentions about what I thought it should mean, you know, and just really going as like deeply as I possibly could into what is like trying to get to the true nature of myself and reality and, and truth. And I mean, truth about like me, mm -hmm. um, in a way like I hadn't before. And I spent a long time, like was very dry meditations because I was just going like deep and deep and deep. And, and it's kind of like an afterglow of working with those um, original practices uh, that I ended up just getting into these deep non-perceptual states during my meditation, you know, meditating for several hours a day and really trying to just extinguish that flame of identity. Because of course, you know, our, we are who we are, but there is a projected sense of our identity and, you know, the elements of our consciousness and who we think we are and who we think we have to be. And I did a lot of work to like see beneath that and to let a lot of that go and to find out like where there were, it's kind of interesting. Is it sort of like the tasting of the food thing I was talking about earlier where you mm -hmm. just know it, but you sometimes, you know, I think people, they know, but, and I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about with your, your work and your history, but it's like, there's this weird thing where let's say it's an attachment, something that's causing suffering in us, something that we keep getting hung up on. It's like, we know that it's a problem, but it's like underwater or something. Like we, they can't, you can't place like words or language on it. We can't actualize and like see it, but we're like aware. We can feel that it's a, some type of problem, but we can't connect that with whatever the action is. And through certain processes that eventually can arise and you can get clarity and connect like, oh, okay, let me confront this thing. Um, but like I was talking about with the taste thing, like we can feel that something is there, but it can be very hard for people to put language to it or to actually understand it for it to get on this side of conscious awareness. Um, and so I did a little, spent a lot of time trying to like track down those things hmm. and just clear out all my bullshit or as, as much of it as I could and get as real with myself as I could. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, was I spent a lot of time doing that and I got pretty weird, you know, <laughs> with it. <laughs> I remember I met up with someone recently that I hadn't seen in a few years 
And the last time I'd seen them was during that period. And they were like, well, I'm glad to see that your sense of humor is back. (laughs) 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 Um, Yeah. And so I think then in the the subsequent five years after that, which would be the last five years, um, it's been a lot more, I think, a lot more casual, a lot Mm. more just natural and organic, a lot more free, Mm. you know, and uh yeah it's just like another biological function in a way it's sort of like it's just this extension of being to me now you know or it's the thing that i do to sort of like brushing your teeth or bathing or something like that it's like just that but for my mind you know just remembering remembering because life draws us out of ourselves and being present and being self-connected is a constant, you know, not a, not a struggle, but something that you have to remember and put effort into. It's just, but it's just like, like that sounds like, like heavy where people are like, oh, I don't want to have to be like pushing this boulder up the hill forever, but it's, it does not, it's not. And then when I say that like meditation for me now is, is organic as I mean, it's like, well, if you don't like cut your fingernails for 10 years, you're going to have a problem. And it's like, it's the same. It takes effort. You like cut your fingernails every week or whatever, or every two weeks. Um, and meditation is the same way. It's like, you know, you just keep doing it and it's like maintenance, you know, in the same way. And you'll, you'll keep staying connected and, and you'll remember all those important things that you need to remember. Yeah. That's it's fascinating the path that you go on, and I feel like there's so many parallels with the experiences I've had too. And uh, it takes me to like a question around the future now. It's like we navigate a deep past, like where does this come from in these practices? But I see two things are happening in the world right now at a very rapid rate. One is the expansion of uh, plant medicines and psychedelics, and you know, people using them all over for all different reasons, and then also a rapid expansion of technology not just in social, but also now in the implementations of artificial intelligence. And it takes us to the question of like machine oriented intelligence and consciousness versus, you know, other kinds and human, obviously. And I just wondered first, as we I want to go into that in the second half of the pod, if you're interested and, uh, you know, kind of just hear what you're seeing in the scene around psychedelics and plant medicines, what you're hearing, um, if it's come into the mindfulness space at all, you know, those kinds of questions, just what, what have you been seeing is, is occurring and, you know, what are people experiencing? Yeah. And, you know, what's interesting is that I, I don't even know if I consider myself to be in the mindfulness space anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that about maybe three years ago, I just started noticing that, and it, may, it could be also a matter of scale as well. Like whenever my stuff was just kind of in the midst of growing a lot all at once. Um, I started noticing people responding to the same ideas that are in like the quote unquote mindfulness space, but without the language, like in the buzzwords attached to it. Hmm. And I feel like that as like culture has shifted to become very hungry for those ideas and those teachings and those tools that what's happened is that like mental health, mindfulness, um, you know, psychology, various things like that, all these different sort of uh, areas that are quite popular now 
they all sort of grew into one field. And what's happened is that all of the buzzwords and ways of languaging things that used to create like its niche has fallen away and it's created like a new sort of language of something that's a lot more straight and direct. And I think that's happened and it's been, it's thrived because, you know, the languaging tools that create, like that segment off a school of thought or thinking, um, they create dogmas and kind of divisions and just sort of reactions. People are like, oh, I'm not interested in that. Even just by simply seeing a word that's associated with some school of thought. Mm-hmm. But if the same ideas are expressed in plain language, then people are more open to it. And I think that that's sort of, there's just this kind of interesting synergy of all of these areas that are emerging or that have emerged now that exist. And uh, that's that's where I feel, you know, I intentionally pointed myself towards it because I saw it as the path of what would be, what would connect with the most amount of people and also connect with people in a direct way outside of the pretense of like, hey, here's a way you have to think to get this idea. Or here's like the type of person you have to be. It's like, no, no, here's just like an idea. Meet it where you're at and yeah. wherever it'll, and whatever will happen. Um, but as far as like how I see like psychedelics in the world, that world in that area now. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's like, I feel like the um, sort of like the same trajectory we were talking about earlier, like youthful enthusiasm. I feel like over the last like six or seven years, there was a huge like explosion of that. And there was like, I think probably three or four years of kind of like the adolescent version of like a psychedelic renaissance of all of the same, you know, all the stuff you'd see that would be involved with that. And I think over the last few years, what's happened is that a lot of that stuff has either fallen out of popularity or it's kind of disappeared or the people who were purveyors of it became disinterested and moved on to something else. Um, But what's remained is, I think, kind of this low boil of cultural interest in the more useful sides of psychedelics as opposed to the more um, fantastical ones. Hmm. You know, I see, I see a lot of emphasis on people not getting caught up in the quote unquote, like lifestyle of what it means to be like a person that's in the psychedelic world, which is good because it's such a dumb, I mean, you know, uh, that's a simplification. It's just a, it's an attachment that's not useful for the user, you know, (laughs) to, to like associate yourself with a, with that. Um, And because essentially you're playing a character at that point, you know? Um, So I see people, you know, a lot more comfortable just engaging with it uh, on the level of the work that's involved and what comes out of that, as opposed to, the shiny lights of the culture that once surrounded it. Um, And then of course, I also see a lot of the great academic stuff that's coming out. It's, you know, I'm sure that's a a strategized approach by people who are interested in popularizing psychedelic medicine to a broader degree is you can reach X amount of the population through education, you know, and that education could come through books, podcasts, films, documentaries, whatever. Um, but then there's a huge part of the population who needs a third party kind of verification to be open to education. And 
they get that leverage from above, which would be from academic research. And by showing it's, you know, has academic and scientific promise, then people at large are more open to engaging with it um, as a therapy because they say, okay, this is not just some cultural wave. This actually is rooted in something that's verifiable. And so I think that's why that's, you know, become more uh, pervasive is because of that. Yeah, I've heard that Austin is a now like psychedelic renaissance center. Are you still in the that area? Are you, are you in and around that to see it occurring and unfolding? Um, I'm in the, I am in Austin still. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's a lot of ketamine uh, centers here and various things like that. Yeah, I mean, it's a, you know, it's definitely happening here. Yeah, but that was fascinating what you're talking about, uh, like just getting straight to the point and sharing information openly without it being like ensconced in some kind of other tradition or, you know, something that pigeonholes it or creates a dogma around it. Um, how have you seen that playing out? Like in general, in terms of like what was new age, what was, uh, you know, self-help coaching therapy, et cetera. How is, how has the space in your mind been evolving the culture around it been evolving? I mean, I think people sort of like, I don't know, I think culture kind of grew up around it a little bit, you know. Um, But it's funny is it just keeps, it's like, it's just, everything's cyclical. Like it just keeps happening, you know, again, like it, that the same thing happened, you know, like in the 1960s and then in the 90s and then again, you know, now um, as that people get excited by, psychedelics is like a lifestyle and an, and an image as opposed to the actual like work that's underneath all of that. And I've just seen a lot of that from my, from, from whatever I happen to see, I've seen a lot of that fall away so that, um, you know, it's not as, uh, it's not sensationalized like I, like it was, there was a period of time. I feel like probably, you know, five, six years ago, where it was like the sensationalism was just like through the roof, where it actually made me, it's one of the reasons why I stopped talking about it and mm. things like that on the podcast or focusing on it is because I realized like the space needed like to breathe a little bit, you know, and needed, need a little bit, the space needed space, <laughs> mm. you know, <laughs> needed some space to breathe and, and go from kind of a, a boil to a simmer and uh, get those deep flavors going and i think that's kind of where we're at now yeah i mean fundamentally i don't think that the psychedelics accelerate path at all i think that they accelerate experience and so i've noticed that they they can help somebody have an experience that makes a lot of these other philosophies real or bring into context these other ideas that would otherwise be invisible to our normal senses like someone's energy you know or chakras or you know energy centers or you know just how to get into the difficult parts of the subconscious that people are blocked from. And so it can like open up and make that real. But then after that, it's sort of left with like a, well, so what if you don't do anything with it, it just, you know, fades away into the patterns and habits of normal everyday life. And if you, you know, do do something with it, well, that's now practice right now. It's not just taking more psychedelics. It's actually doing something that helps that mature and grow in somebody over time. And that's why I've been seeing the different kind of meditative practices, you know, ultimately come forth as a way of exploring deeper aspects of our consciousness. And it's not just, you know, chasing the experiences that we can have in the altered state. 
And, uh, you know, it's good to hear that from your own experience, you're seeing the sensationalism wear off because I don't fundamentally think there's anything sensational about it. Down here in the Amazon, plant medicines are medicines. No one's sensationalizing them in the streets. Like (laughs) they're medicines. Like if you need a medicine, you go get the medicine, you have the medicine. And there are those people who have the nature of practice. But I've been seeing a lot more people come with, uh, in essence, a much more sober mindset about the plant medicines. And for me, that's been incredible to see. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, think about that. Like if in America, if people were like having like the ibuprofen festival, you know, they're like, dude, it's so crazy. <laughs> Have you? <laughs> that was wild. The Dayquil one was nuts, man. Last year, yeah. <laughs> That's funny, man. How how are you seeing technology? You know, disrupt the space and and writing. I mean, I've heard about uh, you know people using now the AI tools and stuff like that. You know, to write. Have you seen that it's in any way affecting uh, the space or, you know, people in your circles talking about it? Oh, yeah. A lot lot of people are talking about it. Um, uh, It hasn't affected anything. Um, It hasn't fulfilled the fears that some people had about it at the beginning. So, you know, and also this goes to whether it's Mid Journey or Dali or whatever, you know, visual artists, whenever those things came out. People, they were there were a lot of them that were like, "Oh, this is going to erase, you know, human artists and the whole et cetera, et cetera." And that, of course, hasn't happened. Um, and I was never scared of that. Same thing with OpenAI and ChatGPT. You know, as far as generating texts, like there were people who were worried that their you know writing jobs would go away or that humans would be replaced by that. And uh, I, I never had that worry because I got in there and I, I played with it whenever ChatGPT three came out just out of curiosity and I immediately saw that it has no point of view, you know? Mm. And so the only thing that matters about creativity is point of view. It's like the, the, all the other stuff is just vehicle. It's all just structure and, and it's scaffolding to get the point of view out into the world. Um, and so if you don't have that, then you're not going to be creating any significant art, but as the conversation I think continued, then people who were using ChatGPT for writing learned, I think it's actual use that some people use it for, which is like idea generation. So trying to basically, if people need to have starting places for their writing, they can generate either a, you know, either a paragraph or a list of ideas or something and just kind of help them, their minds start going and finding a jumping off point. Because I know a lot of people find it difficult um, for, to find jumping off points in their creativity. And I think that's served as that And it. And it's really, um, I think menial tasks it has replaced. So writing, you know, a description for, if you're a realtor and need a description for the website, for some new house that's for sale, you know, you're like, write a description for the lot. It's like, Oh, a sunny, lots of windows or however, whatever those things say, <laughs> you know, um, you know, stuff like that has been replaced, I think, uh, with, with ChatGPT. But, um, and it is interesting. I've heard people, I have, you know, I, I have heard people say that they do use it for all of their social media writing hmm. without like not, not even punching it up, really, just literally generating like quotes and then 
So I heard this person, this is very funny to me. I heard some person say that they created like a, an Instagram page. They were using ChatGPT to generate like thoughtful quotes and then using Midjourney or some others or like a Canva AI or something like that to then they would just copy and paste those quotes and then it would generate images with the quotes and then they would put them on an auto uploader to upload them to their account and like schedule them. So they were like, yeah, I get like a month's worth of content content done in like, you know, 20 minutes and whatever. I'm like, but why? <laughs> you know, I see that you're, that's great that you're getting it done, but why? What was their answer? There, that's a great question. Like, why would you do that? I, did, I didn't ask that. Yeah, that was my internal answer. That's like, internal question? For, yeah. For, for what purpose are you doing that though? You know, um, so it does, you know, it can get weird. That's for sure. No, I think you're right spot on on the automation aspects of it and people using it to regurgitate information. Uh, what interests me deeply in what you spoke about just now is point of view. How would you define point of view? Yeah, I mean, it's the culmination of all of your experience and how it relates to whatever the idea or the situation is that you're speaking on or writing an observation about or contrasting, you know, so it's just the totality of your perception being having influence upon a single idea, typically one that is, you know, most times to me, creativity is, it's a collaboration between your own awareness and your immediate place and life and in the world, like your literal immediate place you're like feeding back with culture, with your surroundings, with your emotions, with whatever that's around you. And you work together to create something to try and really share a perspective about that that only you can have. Because ultimately that's all the, all art is, is it's like, we're all seeing the same stuff, so, you know, subjectively and art is whenever someone sees something in a different way and can describe it or externalize it either through writing or a film or a song or whatever. Um, but we'll say most directly through writing in a way that makes other people see that thing that they already knew in a new way. And I think that point of view is what makes that possible. You need a life lived of experience and thought and then that, that is what creates your the, the depth of your subjective experience to then be able to have that communication about something in life that awakens people to a new dimension of reality ultimately. That's beautiful. How do you how do you go about harnessing that for the creative pursuit? Like I see it in my mind like okay, you've given me a target, like you've given me a point uh, like an aiming point. So it's not the noise anymore. Sometimes I think when people look at creative projects, it's just like, where do I even get started? How would I do this? There's so much noise out there. I don't, like it can become overwhelming and just the imagination of the invisible zeitgeist of this. But now you're telling me like, okay, find within yourself this, this direction and this, you know, this focus that you have, uh, that only you have that comes from your experiences. How do you then harness that to put that into a project? Yeah, well, it's not really harnessing that. It's more of getting all the other stuff out of the way. Hmm. Like that's already in you. You know, it's just about, it's what I was talking about at the top of the podcast. It's like hmm. listening to that internal voice 
of what arises and then trusting that and then following your taste. So it's like, you know what you think about stuff. You know what I mean? You, you already know what your, like what your take on the world is. It's just a matter of having enough courage to say it and to write it out without any of the fear of worrying what other people think is, or you think other people are supposed to think is meaningful. What you mm -hmm. think that the culture thinks they need right now, you know, what you think that people will buy or something like that right now. It's like, fuck all that stuff. Like get all that I've had, just listen to what arises and externalize that. Then, you know, if, if you want to, if, if marketing is on your, you know, to-do list, then later you can figure out how to fit those ideas together into something that then will connect with, you know, that makes sense in the public discourse. But in terms of just creating the thing, yeah, you just, you have to forget about everyone else. And I like that Rick Rubin says, forget about the audience. He's like, the audience isn't important. Like who cares? They, they don't matter because they don't exist. Mm -hmm. Like the, the thinking of the audience is abstract. It's like thinking of some market that you're writing something towards is abstract because you don't know what that is. It doesn't really exist. It's a collection of like moving parts that are self-organized and they're always changing. You can't possibly Right. Like I'm going to write this. If you could do that, everyone would do it and everyone would have best selling books. It's like, oh, the New York Times bestseller list is a hundred thousand bullet points uh, titles long this week. Uh, everybody strap in, you know, because uh, anyway, yeah. So you just listen to exactly what it is that makes sense for you. And it's really just getting that voice in your head that tells you to change what you already knew was right. And like kicking that voice out and just doing what you already know and being kind of fearless and honest with yourself about it, you know. That's incredible advice. And I think everyone listening needs to take that to heart. That's just like spot on uh, creative advice. So thank you for sharing that. What are you working on these days? Yeah, I'm uh, working on a, a new book and uh, it'll be out a year from now. Um, right. And then also my... Um, uh, podcast, which I had for eight, almost nine years, it used to be called the Astro Hustle, um, because I'm a ridiculous person, and I named it that in the beginning. <laughs> in the beginning, because <laughs> it was supposed to be fun, and it turned uh, into a job. Uh, um, but yeah, no, I've been wanting to rename it for a long time, for actually for about six years. <laughs> but what happened is about two and a half, three years after I started the podcast, just for the fun of it. Um, I get written up in New York times and I was like, well, I guess I can't change it now. Um, which really in hindsight was a dumb, a dumb instinct to have, but I didn't know any better at the time. I thought it mattered. Hmm. Um, but I've been wanting to rename it for a long time and, um, I get tired of interviewing people a, like a year or so ago. And so I just did like solo episodes and there was a lot of other stuff in there. I know this is a lot more than you just asked what I was working on. I'm giving you my, that's okay. Story. That's okay. Give, give me the story. That's um, exciting to know how this unfolded. Yeah, sure. do you want me to actually go into it? If you want to, I mean, you're already going. Just go. I'm enjoying this. <laughs> yeah, we're we're already in the scenic route. I'm like, I asked you. <laughs> yeah, we're at the Astro Hustle, and now we're at the yeah. New York Times. I didn't know any of this. Like, this is fascinating for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was so, like, do you want to take the long road up the coast? You're like, dude, we're already halfway there. <laughs> <laughs> There's no way back to the freeway, man. And the private yeah. jet was way back, like when we didn't even start. Like, <laughs> but this is yeah. so important. No, but this is so important because you wanted to change the name of your podcast, but you didn't like because of external yeah. reasons right so that's key yeah yeah but and then this gets even deeper in any you know 
professional podcasters will really uh, connect with this. Um, but no, you can, that's a joke. You just, anything in this applies to just everything in life. I think, yeah. um, I tend to say that about everything, but everything does apply to everything in life. Um, but with the podcast, so I was doing it. I initially started it because other people told me to start it. So like 10 years ago, I was going on someone's podcast and his fans would say, Hey, you should start your own. So I started it and I was like, Oh, sure. This will be fun. Hence the ridiculous name. And then it became popular. It got kind of, it grew fast because that was whenever the podcast world was the wild west and you could just sort of do whatever you wanted and still get, you know, followers mm -hmm. and subscribers. Um, got written up in New York times that boosted the profile more Then I started getting a lot of sponsorships and, and advertisements, which enabled me to really easily do that, uh, for a living. And as that grew, then, you know, what happens is that whatever the style of your podcast is like publicists and people like that take note of it and then they start feeding you material like crazy because they want whoever it is that they're representing to get onto your show to promote their book or their album or whatever they're doing and so what happened was that in the early the first probably four five years of the podcast i would seek out guests you know, and I would find who was interesting to me and I would email them and say, Hey, you know, I have this podcast, would you like to come on it? Blah, blah, blah. And that's how it worked then. But as the show grew, what started happening was that, um, just, you know, publicists started sending me, Hey, would you like to talk to this person? And they would be someone who perhaps I thought would be either out of touch or I would have never even considered asking because I just wouldn't thought that they would be interested. And so I'm like, Oh, hell yeah. You know, get them on the show, get them on the show. And so what slowly happened really it was kind of like this weird six month period of like hyper growth where all of a sudden it was just marketing people and publicists asking me like, you want this person, you want this person. And it became to where like there was so many where I just now I was cherry picking, you know, these guests because from all these opportunities. So I stopped searching who I wanted to have on the show and mm -hmm. I just started picking the people that were offered to me. And so then I did the show because it's easier, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's really, it's just way easier than that because there's they're already it's already a yes like they're mm -hmm. asking like hey we want they they want to come on will you say yes instead of me reaching out to someone and hoping that they say yes yeah. and so it's just easier so i'm like oh they're interesting they're interesting they're interesting and then um that you know i did the show that way for several years you know i don't know four years all through COVID and everything and, and prior to that and then it just started like i started noticing that um my attention was really drifting while I was doing the podcasts, uh, normally in the early days, especially I was like lasered in like pure presence, everything that mattered about the, the conversation. And I found myself just kind of being less interested. And then I started asking myself questions of like, why am I less interested? You know? Hmm. And then I started asking myself like, well, I don't like the idea of just ultimately selling advertising you know it's like i'm just going to be this voice it's like offering products to pay for these conversations and it's sort of hitting me of like also the the podcast advertising industry is really weird and it's gotten even more gross and weird over the last couple of years like for example people don't know this but one of the nice new things that you'll find in some advertisements is that some companies want you to use um essentially like a, a cookie, a, a tracking pixel that is an audio. 
And so normally if you visit a website, you know, whatever website you visit, they can tell what your IP address is, which basically tells them where you're located and it tells them what type of browser you're using. And some other, if you offer other agent user agent info, they can learn a lot more about you as well. You know, mm. that's why we have the little reject cookies because it's saying, hey, just take what you have to take for me to access this website, not all my, you know, preferences. <laughs> um, so there's a technology that some evil company made that basically you can insert an audio version of that. So advertisements, a lot of them, a lot of advertisers started saying you have to, in order for us to advertise on your podcast, you have to insert this tracking pixel into the audio so that we get information. We want to close the loop on sales. So their pitch is that they can tell exactly what customers are coming from you, where they're coming from, and if they're going through your website to make purchases. Um, but ultimately what they're doing is they're taking your entire audience. If you have 100,000 listeners, they're taking 100,000 IP addresses of all of their location, how they're using the internet, all in, in maybe more preferences. And uh, so I was like, I refuse to do that. You know, I refuse to be a part of that because like that's just as evil as cookies were. But it's just that, those little cookie pop-up things only happened in the last few years because the public only became aware it was such a thing and it existed. And so mm. changes are made. So now we're in this new territory where like this exists, but there aren't any, you know, uh, agreements around it because no one knows it exists. Yet. Wow. <laughs> um, and that's been happening for like a year or two now, these, these tracking. Anyway, so I was just like, advertising is, this is gross. You know, the like, and I was thinking like, who's really in charge of this podcast? Like what's happening here? What am I doing? I'm yeah. just accepting. And even though I'm accepting the guests that are coming from publicists, like they're still being curated by an industry that's trying to sell products and things like they're only reaching out to me, not because they like me. It's because they want to sell whatever the thing is that their client is trying to sell. And so I'm like, whose show is this? You know what I mean? Like, because it's the, it's like the, the industry of things and the advertisers basically have this nice show and they've hired me to run it for them. You know, that's what it started feeling like <laughs> in this weird way. And I was like, all right, I got to just put, pump the brakes and all that. And so I stopped doing advertising for a while and I stopped having any guests on and I just started doing solo podcasts because I was like, we're just going to reset and figure out what it is why I'm doing this, you know, um, and why, if I want to keep doing it. And so I did the solo episodes for, I don't know, maybe six months or a year. And then it struck me, it hit me, no pun intended, that this premise and idea of like, I was trying to think of something, how can I provide something like really valuable to people who are listeners that's like, that's unusual, you know, something that you just can't get everywhere. And one of the things I see from just getting a bazillion DMs and messages and comments and stuff through social media is that people at large, like they feel like one of the challenges that they face is that they feel like that they can't find the path from where they are in life now to the place that they hope they can be. And they don't feel that that's possible because they're used to what their life looks like today. And only because they're used to what that looks like do they think it might not be possible for them to get to where they want to go. And of course, every person that we look at and we admire, 
they once were in that same space, mm. but over time they found a path which grew and led them to getting to the place where they want to go, right? And so I thought, how could we, how could we look at that blueprint? Like, what does that look like going from a person who's living a quote unquote ordinary life to a person who then goes to live a quote unquote extraordinary life? Hmm. You know, not saying that of course every life is extraordinary, but you know what I mean? And so the show I changed the name to and that it hit me, which is essentially having people that I'm choosing, <laughs> no publicists, I'm choosing all these guests, a lot of them are writers and stuff. Um, and it's like, what was it? What was the insight that they had that was a turning point for them where they were doing one thing and something became clear to them and that clarity enabled them to then fulfill this goal that helped them become who they wanted to be and sharing what those paths look like from a lot of different perspectives, you know, musicians, writers, people of all age, race, you know, sex, et cetera, et cetera, all, all of the world, what these patterns look like, I hope will give the audience insight into how they can then do that for themselves. Oh, it's beautiful. That premise is amazing. That's, Thank you. Yeah. The transition, I think, is the big unknown. It's the big unseen, unspoken, unheard of. You get the before and the after, but you don't get yeah. the during and the how. And there's a, a probably a thread that will be pulled amongst all of them that will help others be able to make that leap themselves and ultimately embrace their own greatness. I think that's one of the hardest things in the oversaturated environment is to figure out how you find your own greatness instead of just the endless comparison and the you know collective zeitgeist of social media and telling you how it is, but when you need to just find it on your own and get out there. So has you have you started the podcast yet? Is it going? It's going. Yeah. I have, I think five episodes. I've actually, Amazing. I've been so fascinated by the stories that I'm releasing two a week now instead Great. of one a week. So, so there'll be a lot more, a lot faster than, <laughs> than, than there were. Yeah. God, fantastic. How should, how can people find you and find this and find your podcast? They can go to, uh, Hey, Corey Allen on any social media. I'll be there. And then, uh, you have to go to, Corey-Allen.com, if they go to websites, that would be mine. Uh, of course, on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, if you just type in my name, uh, the podcast, and then it hit me, it'll pop up, and you can check that out there. Awesome. Everybody, hit up Corey and DM him and listen to his podcast <laughs> and tell him why you're interested. And, uh, <laughs> and this has been an amazing podcast. Corey, thanks so much for coming back, coming to the show and getting a chance to catch up again. I deeply appreciate it. And uh, I'm sure everyone who listens to this is going to get just a wealth of knowledge from you. So thanks for sharing your wisdom and your teachings.